Okay, so brought uh, some important um, principles to reflect on. So I'd like to pick up on some of those this morning to practice with. Uh, one of the he began his talk by talking by reflecting on the the nature of boundary limitation. Uh, the the um, framework of of uh, the activity of contemplation to contemplate uh, happens within a sense of voluntary taking on limitation and to work within that for the sake of not just being limited but for the sake of reflecting on the nature of mind, the nature of body, the nature of our experience so that we can that wisdom can liberate from false identification, from reactivity. You see the nature of change through seeing the nature of change, nature of, therefore, non-ownership, that that which we identify with uh, and uh, take to be ourself is in fact part of the Dhamma nature which is arising and passing according to its own nature. And the, you know, this, <clears throat> as soon as there's the, the ownership, the grasping uh, that's unconscious, it can be a conscious relationship to our experience, which is guided by uh, wisdom, compassion, but the unconscious grasping and identification leads to this experience of dukkha, stress, suffering... Uh, and the principle that when we've experienced enough frustration or suffering or lack of satisfaction, then eventually the heart begins to turn back into its own nature, uh, stops wandering through the pathways of uh, the sensory experience to find completion and returns, begins to return, what he called the, the great reversal. The facilitation of that great reversal is the process of contemplation, the heart of which is this practice of mindfulness, awareness, presence. One of the interesting things, Kisar also talked about, a very powerful teacher that we were fortunate to be inspired by and to meet, Ajahn Chah. One of the one of the things that really struck Ajahn Chah when he first came to the West and he came in contact with Westerners practicing, he was um, I think he was quite delighted to see how interested Westerners were in the in the actual practice of meditation, not so much in the rites and rituals of Buddhism or the superstitious <coughs> aspects of Buddhism, which often. He, he came across a lot in Thailand. People would come to the monastery for lottery numbers and for magic potions and spells and things like that. Um, so he was really heartened to see this interest in the heart of the teaching and the heart of the practice and meditation and the liberating wisdom insight. Uh, insight that liberates but he, what he did notice and what he commented on was that Westerners tended to use meditation. He, he would joke about it. He would often 
have a bit of a laugh at our expense. <laughs> he would say that we use meditation in a meditation retreat like people would use lawyers to get out of prison. He said, you, you get in trouble and then you run off to a retreat and then you spring yourself out for a while and find some peace, but then you don't really understand what gets you in trouble. So you go back out again with you know some peacefulness, some centeredness, and then the old patterns come back and find oneself frustrated, suffering, uh, lost. So he would, you know, he would actually encourage his disciples uh, to to contemplate what gets us into trouble. This process of identification, erroneous identification, with the with the experience of body, feeling, mind, mind states, the impermanent mistaking the impermanent for the permanent or wishing that the impermanent was more permanent or resisting the flow of how things actually are wishing they were another way so he would to go to the heart of that which generates this experience of struggle or suffering he said you really need to understand the wanting and the not wanting of the mind the desire and the aversion of the mind and how that operates. So in our practice today, he, Kisara mentioned last night, drawing again from Ajahn Chah, that to really understand these tendencies of desire and aversion that operate, that we, the mind projects onto the self, onto the world, you don't need to have profound, still, unshakable concentration, although that might be very helpful. But for most of us, let's be honest, it's, <laughs> it's not that easy to sustain. We might have some um, periods of that. We finally feel some peace, and then the lawnmower starts, or someone moves, or the teacher rings the bell just when we're getting peaceful, or starts to speak. Um, and we can feel irritated, we can feel that there's right there aversion, resistance <coughs> comes up. So you say you don't really need, you know, so to have unshakable samadhi to cultivate wisdom, just enough presence of mind that you would need to read a book to cultivate wisdom. So I'm assuming that we can bring that to bear upon the moment, enough focus to be present enough to reflect on the movement of of wanting and not wanting. So today in our practice, it's not uh, like to encourage the the reflection on these primary energies that move us out and away from the, as Kisara mentioned last night, the host. It's called in, in uh, Chinese Buddhism, the host. That which remains, that which is not moving, that which is knowing. In Thai they call the puru, which means the knowing, the presence, the awareness. That which moves us out of the rootedness 
rootedness in here and now, this ceaseless agitation of looking, of seeking, of wanting, of hankering for what isn't here and resisting, irritable, averse to what is and feeling all the time the problem is to do with having to somehow remove what is to make us peaceful, the painful knee or the agitated mind or the irritating person or to get what we feel we need, the peaceful state, complete and absolute isolation. We actually take the... the, calming practices far enough, the tranquility practices, one lands up being able to not tolerate any sensory impingement. Everything becomes very irritating. <laughs> you get into the irritable meditator syndrome. <laughs> when I came back from my first meditation retreat, and I was a student, and I was trying to set up my own meditation practice, And in those days, I don't know if you have them so much in England anymore, but we used to have these ice cream vans that had the tunes, these little kind of ditty tunes, inane tunes that would go on and on and on. And they'd drive down the road and the tune would start. And one of these vans pulled up outside the window of the student house where I was living and the tune started playing. And I'm trying to get peaceful. And the the next moment I find myself storming outside and telling them, (laughs) The poor ice cream man, would you mind effing off because I'm trying to meditate? (laughs) And as I walked back to my cushion, I thought, that can't be right. (laughs) It's clearly something I haven't understood here. (laughs) So that's the kind of craziness we can get into as meditators. So so not being, you know, in in the suttas, Buddha talks about for really unshakable samadhi, which is the samadhi that can withstand sensory impingement, there needs to be the ability to hold steady in the face of that which is uncomfortable. It doesn't mean to say sit rigid like a ramrod and not move. Uh, you know, if that's what needs to happen, but it's really looking at the how desire and aversion operates in the mind around how it is in this moment. And Kisai was also talking last night in the talk that this, in principle, once we get a sense for the the boundary of contemplation, of holding the, the external boundary we're using or container, perhaps is a nicer way. Boundary always, limitation can sound a little oppressive, but perhaps a holding or a container, that which holds or contains the process of contemplation. The outer container is the retreat, is the silence, is the form of the whole thing, giving each other space. But that's not transportable in a few days as we move on we we can't recreate Guy House back in London or for me getting on the plane back to Johannesburg or wherever we're going 
but we can transport the internal container, the internal contemplative matrix, which is this mindfulness or awareness or presence. So this is our opportunity to get not so much just fixated on getting tranquil and still, using a retreat like that lawyer, and then getting completely blown away when we walk out the door. But this is our chance to really get the sense of how to really get a feeling for this uh, inner container of mindfulness, presence, awareness, that can hold steady to how it is, that can withstand sensory input and not get caught up in the reactions to that, the desire and the aversion. And as we do that, as we hold this inner uh, container of awareness, of presence, it's very, it's very mindfulness is actually very, very simple. It's really holding presence to the moment. Then rather than being turned, as it says in the, uh, Master Xinhua, the Chinese master, would say, rather than being turned by the state, rather than being shaped by the desire and aversion, by the irritation, by the reactivity, by the longing, by the fear, by the anxiety, by the hope, by the failure, by the, all the moods, all the billion types of shapes of the flow of feeling tone, memory, perception can take, rather than being turned by the state, we notice the state turn. The knowingness, the presence, the awareness of the heart notices the impermanence of the state. And in that moment, notices that which remains, that which is just knowing, just present, just here. And rather than the state being me and my problem, my anxiety, my fear, my aversion, my restlessness, it becomes Dhamma, the Dhamma, the nature, the nature of just how it is, the nature of feeling, the nature of sensation, the nature of perception, the nature of thought, the nature of intention. Sensory experience, hearing, tasting, touching, feeling. It's just like this. So in this placement of mindfulness, of awareness at the core of the temple, the heart of our practice, the heart of our being, that which is knowing, listening, aware, we can respond and reflect and contemplate the nature of our experience and replace the reactivity to our experience with with this capacity to contemplate how it is.
rather than reacting to how it is or identifying with how it is, becoming how it is, being moved by the particularly these two primary energies which I'd really like to highlight today for you to contemplate when the mind is caught in desire, desiring something, wanting the next thing, wanting to move on somewhere. It's a huge habit, a huge amount of energy that we've in, we invest unconsciously in moving to the next thing, and that comes up the end of the sitting, the meal, bedtime, <sighs> wanting to be outside when you're inside, wanting silence when the teacher's speaking, wanting the teacher to say something when the silence has gone on too long, wanting to be peaceful when not, wanting something to happen when it feels a bit too calm. Really looking at the root, not so much as the problem being what's happening, but the root of this movement of of the wanting, the mind shaped by desire, moving to, just to, to, to hold within the template of mindfulness, that contemplating that energy and seeing it move and change and dissolve. Maybe it doesn't dissolve, maybe it becomes very fierce and starts rattling the cages, shaking, making us wobble. I really want this. I really got to have this happen. I really got to get out of here. I really got to go. This has got to really happen. Then we still hold that steadiness, and then the, the voice of desire can become quite sort of pathetic, actually. Please, if I don't, I'm going to die. <laughs> Help. <laughs> The problem with desire, it's always pointing. It points away from the heart. It's pointing to, it's going to be okay when we get this or when we get there or when we get that. So to contemplate within the, in the framework, in the container of our awareness, this, this movement of the heart, and then it's, it's mirror opposite when there's resistance, when we don't want. We don't want it to be like this. We don't want this crazy mind. We don't want this painful emotion. We don't want this difficult body. We don't want the sounds. The Gaia house is such a creaky creaky house. It's very good sometimes. You're just about to drop off to have a nap and then someone just goes... They're walking very mindfully, but it's creak, 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 creak. Door opens and it wakes up and it's like, ugh, irritation should be quiet. I'm going to have to go and lay in a sensory deprivation tank. That's what I really would like. No impingement. No sounds. No contact. So, so in a way, trying to withdraw the energy of desire and aversion from its objects the objects it's focused on, someone else, what's happening, and looking, beginning to contemplate the very nature of this energy, 
we can really get to, to comprehend wisdom, moments of seeing desire and aversion, then we'll know that which is knowing isn't the desire and aversion. Is able to watch it arise, have its energy and its dynamic, its inner voices. To know its cessation, and to know that which is just knowing that's present. So finding a posture that's comfortable, the last part of the session. Again, just taking a few moments to establish mindfulness with breath, mindfulness with the body, mindfulness with sensation. One can gently ask, how is it now? tiredness or restlessness just taking a steadying breath deeper breath feeling the breath energy coming into the body down into the belly and on the out breath just relaxing through the body Relaxing the face, shoulders, belly. Not trying too hard to make something happen, to get peaceful. Just trusting the awareness that's present to how it is, aligning with this quality of knowingness, presence, inner listening.
simply receiving your experience. Allowing the awareness to be open to receive sensation, feeling tones, the flickering of the mental energies as thought, perception, memory. Using the breath to steady, to embody. So today, just being with the unfolding of each moment, being with each breath, contemplating how it is. (laughs) 